to sweep the lick. You have a problem with that. Listen to you. No mercy. morning. Man, it's amazing to be here. I like to see all the smiling faces. Welcome. And again, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here for those of you that are new. Uh, again, we believe everyone matters to God, so you matter, and we hope that you feel that this morning and that the time that you spend with us it is an encouragement to you and on your spiritual journey. And we just challenge you to keep stick with us, you know, keep coming back because God is definitely at work here in this place. Uh, last week, we started a new series called The Fight for Your Life, and uh, for those of you that uh, call Vertical Life Church home, all the V-lifers in the place, I thought I would give you a snapshot of some of my reading material, and uh, so if you wanted further study on this subject, you could pick these uh, works up and do some more in-depth study on your own. One is called uh, A Handbook on Holy Spirit Baptism by uh, Don Basham, uh, Prayers That Rout Demons, great book. Uh, by John Eckhart, Reclaiming Surrendered Ground by Jim Logan, Pigs in the Parlor by Frank and Ida Mae Hammond, and Spiritual Warfare by the Piscopos. These are all great works, uh, much of what I'm going to be pulling from through the course of this series, uh, because we are definitely uh, going to be digging into some really uh, deep discussions, deep things. And I'll be referencing a lot of material from those works through the course of this study. Uh, today, we're going to cover a lot of scriptures, so hopefully you grab a worship guide on your way in because you'll want to definitely take some notes. Today's going to be a little bit more informational, uh, but it's at the same time ap applicable, and I believe that uh, if you stick with us, you lean in today, God is going to do a work in your heart. I believe every time the church gathers, we gather in the name of Jesus. God is here, and he's at work. He's doing something, and uh, specifically around this uh, issue of spiritual warfare. See, God's word, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians, is the sword of the Spirit. It is our weapon against the enemy, one of our weapons, mighty weapons against the enemy, a weapon in which the enemy cannot stand. That's why it's important that we don't just have a Bible, but we know it. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you, God. That the Word of God is alive, it's powerful, and it's something we need to cling to, absorb, study, and, uh, and go to when we need direction in our lives. And the key uh, to what I believe is the key to spiritual deliverance, to being set free from spiritual entanglements or attachments or strongholds, really comes down to awareness. Awareness. There's a pastor named Craig Groeschel, a pastor of a church called Life Church, and uh, in a leadership conference one day, he was talking about you know, organizational leadership, but he made a statement that kind of applies to multiple facets of our life. He said, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. Think about that for a minute. You don't know, you don't know what you don't know. Why? Because you don't know it. You don't know. So one of the ways, one of the key ways we begin to break free in our lives, we begin to change our lives in accordance to the Word of God, is one of awareness. We need to learn the truth about what the Bible says on the subject of spiritual warfare. Uh, we need to learn or recognize how this manifests in, in our own lives, in the fight that we have, in our in struggles that we experience, and then how you can begin to break free through coming in alignment with the truth of the Word of God. 
So it'd be good to, to take some notes, especially uh, we're going to cover some things probably quickly, and you can refer to that later in your own uh, journey as you begin your own journey of deliverance. And today, you know, I know we're kind of the subject of demons is not the most encouraging thing. And you might say, you know, Pastor Joey, I don't really think I need this. I don't think I'm wrestling with demonic spirits. I don't really have any issues. My life's pretty good. I'd say, hold on for just a second. See, last week we began this teaching series, and we talked about the fight for your life, how each one of us at every second of every day is in this kind of struggle with spiritual forces. Uh, in a spiritual battle, and that sin is not just something we do or is present within us because of our fallen nature from Adam and Eve, but that sin actually represents or refers to a specific person called the devil. God told Cain in Genesis chapter 4, we covered this last week, that sin was literally crouching at the door, eager to control you. And we unpack that this fight that we're presently facing in our everyday struggles is a fight. It's one of control. Who is going to be in control of your life? Is it going to be God or the devil? But Satan is patiently waiting for an open door to come into your life to control you, to bring destruction. And he does this through sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, the writer uh, John says this. He says, if we claim to have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So you say, I don't think I'm struggling with this. Well, do you have sin? Okay, well, then you're struggling with this. If you have sin, then you have struggles with spiritual warfare. If you're here today and you don't think you need this, you may very well be revealing a truth that you probably need this more than most. Because we all have sin, which means we all have areas in our lives that we need deliverance. And your denial may be the revelation you need today of the existence of a very powerful stronghold in your life. So hang with us today. Lean in. Don't check out. And come back. Come stay on this journey with us over the next several weeks as we unveil the truth about this fight and how you can begin to overcome these issues in your life. But for today... We're going to continue to unpack the idea, talking about doorways. Somebody say doorways. Doorways or open doors. Doorways are the mechanism Satan uses to enter into you, to attach himself to your life, to, to attack you in some manner, to have power over you, and to begin to work out his plans to destroy you. And for our discussion today, it's fundamental, it's vital that we understand this truth, that our God is what they call a triune God. Three persons in one. Three parts make up one God. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Together, they are God. And as God is a trinity or a triune being, when he created us, he also created us in his image. It has many implications, but for our discussion today, we're going to focus simply on what it means to be a triune being. As God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he has created mankind as body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And it's easy to understand a couple of those aspects. We know what the body is. It's our flesh, our blood, our bones. It's what we interact with day in and day out. But it's a little harder to discern between the soul and the spirit. That's why we have the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. It says, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Here the writer of Hebrews says that our soul and our spirit are very closely connected. They are very closely related. And even in some uh, different books of the Bible, some translations, those words are interchangeable because they're so closely connected. But here in Hebrews chapter 4, the word for soul is the word psyche. Psyche, this means the mind, your emotional, rational thinking, uh, and choice-making part of your being. This is synonymous with your spiritual heart. When we refer to your heart in Scripture, this is what we're talking about, the soul, the mind, the part of you that's responsible for directing your life. The word for spirit here is the word pneuma, and it can be understood as the part of man that came to life. When God breathed into us at creation the breath of a life, this is what he breathed into us, that we became a living soul or a living spirit. It's that eternal force that gives us life and maintains our connection to God. But because of sin, 
Our souls fell under that curse and became corrupted. And subsequently, our bodies fell and became corrupted. And even our spirits fell and became corrupted. And not only did they fall, but the scripture says that they died altogether. John chapter 3, verse 36, the word of God says, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. But anyone who does not believe in the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Before becoming born again, or, or in Christian speak, we call this being saved, our bodies functioned and our minds functioned. I'm sure when you woke up today, you thought, I'm alive. You know, in all intents and purposes, from the moment we were born, we would assume that we were living beings because we had a functioning mind and a functioning body. But yet the Bible says we're dead and destined for judgment. So how could I be alive if I'm dead? It's because the state of death the Bible is referring to is not a physical death, but it is a spiritual death. The curse of sin wrought death to our spirit, which ultimately led to the depravity or wickedness in our souls or our hearts, and ultimately the decay of our very own bodies. The moment we are born into this life, we are born spiritually dead and on a collision course with physical death. But when a person is born again, Jesus said, you must not only be born of water, but also born of the Spirit. When we are born again, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit comes into you, breathes within you new life and restores your spirit. It brings your spirit to life. It restores your connection to God and begins to transform your soul, your mind, or your heart. It begins to change the old man into a new man, giving us a new nature and a new, new nature that honors God, that works against our fallen nature. And with this new birth also comes a promise of God that when Christ returns, we're going to receive a new body, going from a corrupted body to an incorruptible body, from a body destined for death to a body that is destined for everlasting life. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says to the church of Rome, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. In Colossians 1.13, he says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Both of these scriptures from Paul give hope to the believer in Christ. Hope that says, for a born-again believer, we have an ultimate triumph over sin and death. That, that we are no longer slaves to our sin. We don't have to obey that sin nature. And ultimately, we get to spend eternity with Christ forever and forever and ever because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Ultimate victory is ours, but these scriptures also reveal a very dark truth for someone who is not born again, for someone who hasn't placed their faith and trust in Christ, for someone who hasn't asked Christ to forgive them of their sins to become their Lord and Savior. Scripture reveals that their spirit remains dead. They remain a slave to their sin and in bondage to the enemy and to his kingdom. That their ultimate destination is still one of judgment. See, it's important to understand this because we are not just physical beings. This is what we think of because this is what most of our interactions are revolve around is our physical selves. But we are spiritual beings. And the demonic operate on a spiritual level. Even though at times they can manifest into physical reality. That's why when you watch those haunting shows, they usually go to places that had some egregious or wicked or uh, evil thing happen and now it's all haunted full of evil spirits. That's because the demonic operate when, when great sin is uh, perpetrated in this life. And they, they tend to gravitate towards that. So they can manifest in physical form when a door is opened. They go to work. The reason why we overlook this fight and fail to recognize the doorways we encounter each and every day, or maybe the doorways we've opened in our life over time, is because we have forgotten that fundamental teaching that we're not just physical beings, but we're spiritual beings. And life is more than what we can see, taste, touch, or smell. There's a life beyond this life. What happens in the physical affects what happens in the spiritual. And what happens in the spiritual also affects what happens in the physical. And even though as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in the kingdom of heaven now through our faith in the spiritual level, we've been delivered from the kingdom of the enemy. We still live in the kingdom of Satan on the physical level. For he has made himself the God of this world. 
And within his kingdom, he has a government. He has authority. He has rulers. He sets up principalities to enforce his rule in this world. And in our theme verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the verse you saw scroll on the screen at the, the setup video, Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen rule, world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Here in one sentence, Paul begins to unpack really three different types of demonic classes that we may encounter in the kingdom of the enemy at any time, any part of our lives. The first one is this, evil rulers and authorities. These are territorial spirits. These are the governors and principalities of geographical locations. You can see this at work all through the Old Testament. Uh, spirits set themselves up or they're set up by the enemy uh, in sp specific geographical locations to rule and to operate and to govern. And uh, there could be a spirit over Clio or over Flint or over M Michigan itself. You can tend to see the work of different demonic forces because each geographical location tends to have a uh, MO or a, a besetting sin that is uh, significant to that area like sex, sex or gambling or vanity, poverty, violence, etc. You can see the work of these territorial spirits. Number two, you have the mighty powers in this dark world. These are the armies and warrior spirits that uh, war for the demonic kingdom. They fight with false signs and wonders and strive against the armies of heaven uh, over humanity. Jesus said that some of the demons that we wrestle with are so powerful that not even his name can cast them out of a person. That it's only done through prayer and fasting can we come against them. Now, that shouldn't strike fear in our hearts, but it should give us pause. That there are powerful forces at work that we shouldn't take for granted. Number three is evil spirits. These are the ministering spirits that are assigned to specific people to lead people into temptation and oppression and strongholds. These are the spirits we will encounter most often in this fight for our lives. And Paul's church, uh, warning to the church of Ephesus is that we are in the fight for our lives. And this word fight in the original language literally means to wrestle. And the definition of this word wrestle is this, a contrast or contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. That is the fight that we are in. It's vital that we understand that this fight is like a wrestling match. It's a close proximity, proximity battle in which each opponent strives to control and dominate the other. This isn't a battle that's a distant or for a faraway galaxy or faraway place. This is right here, right now. It's vital we understand also that through Jesus Christ, we've been set free from their power. See, before the cross, before coming to Christ and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were under the hand of the enemy. They had their hands around our necks. But because of Christ, we are not slaves any longer. We've been pulled out from the kingdom of Satan and placed into the kingdom of God. Our spirits have been resurrected, and we have life through the Son of God. Because the very presence of God now, the Holy Spirit, has made his home in our very own souls. And he gives us power to overcome the enemy and walk in the authority given to us as ambassadors of God's kingdom. We've been given the very authority of Jesus Christ through our faith and through the finished work of Christ on the cross and through his shed blood and the power of his name. But even though that is a reality for each one here who calls Jesus Lord and Savior, for those that are uh, believers in Christ, that reality of this authority and power that we have through the Holy Spirit the reality is that the enemy knows and Satan is powerfully at work to subvert that authority and power because he knows that even though we are powerful in authority, powerful in the Holy Spirit, we are still weak in our flesh. In Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus to his disciples on the day before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this. He says, keep watch and pray so you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Our spirit wants to do what's right. We want to walk in authority. We want to work, walk in power and might, but yet this corrupted flesh is still in allegiance to the kingdom of the enemy. Our bodies are corrupted. And the corruption of our souls due to our fallen nature, Satan knows that he can bring us down by exploiting our weaknesses. 
We may be born again, but we have yet to receive the perfection of Christ. That comes at his return. So until that day, we still have the propensity to sin, to open doors. We have a daily choice, each and every day, each and every second, to sin or not to sin. To open the door or to keep it closed. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul tells the church of Ephesus, don't be drunk with wine because that's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can either invite destruction into our lives by giving in to our fleshly desires, giving in to temptation, or we can be filled with the presence of God. It's a choice. One we make every time we decide to repent of our sin and obey the Lord or ignore the word of God and live according to our, how our corrupted, fleshly, sinful nature desires. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, if we're following the Spirit, then our entire being is going to come into alignment with the Word of God. We'll walk in authority in the power of His name. Because as we pursue the Spirit, we will be filled with the Spirit and in turn be filled with His power. His desires will be our desires. But again, that is a choice. The phrase following the Spirit, and one thing that God's really been working to unpack in my own life, this word follow, or phrase following the Spirit can also be translated to be occupied with the Spirit. So if you think about it, if God is the only one who has your attention, then we have no fear of failure or messing up. But you and I both know that living this life each and every day, from the moment we wake up, Satan is at work trying to make it really difficult for God to have our undivided attention especially when our weaknesses are exposed, like we come into some money and now we're going to go buy a new toy or get some new clothes or we start a new relationship and got those butterflies in the stomach or an unexpected trial comes our way, messes everything up. We have a busy work week and we're stressed out of our mind, things that too easily distract us. I mean, can I get an amen on that or am I the only sinner in this room? You know what I'm talking about? I know some of you are already distracted. You weren't even paying attention to what I was saying. So I know you know what I'm saying. You're living that right now. And see, Satan does this on purpose. It's on purpose because he knows if we are not occupied in the Holy Spirit, we will be occupied with our sinful flesh. We will give into our flesh and become an easy target to exploit through temptation. Sin is crouching at the door, eager, excited, geeked out of its mind to control you. We have to understand, as believers and as children of God, demons can't just assume authority in our lives. Why? Because we've been set free from the kingdom of the enemy. We've been given power over the enemy. We've been given authority over the enemy. They can't just infiltrate our bodies and attach themselves to our souls and oppress us without permission. We have the authority, not them. If you're a born-again believer, you have to give them permission to come attack you, to come in which is why they are eagerly waiting at the door. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. In other words, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be set free. Whatever you close will be shut. and Whatever you open will be opened. Jesus has given us authority in the spiritual and physical realities. Remember what he said about a mustard seed. If your faith is the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain and remove it from its place. We have great authority in the name of Jesus. So it's up to us to decide what we're going to do. When we open doors, demons go to work in and through us on the spiritual level. And just like the death of our spirit brought about our physical death, the work of the enemy present in our lives and our souls creates strongholds and also will bring with it Mental and emotional distress, impairments, physical manifestations, and debilitating illnesses, sickness in our bodies, disease, infirmity, and the like. And the question is, is, how does this work? How do we open these doorways to the enemy? Can Christians really have demons? And I know that's a, a question because so many people are like, I don't think a Christian can be possessed. I mean, uh, we have the Holy Spirit. How can this work? I know that there's some pushback there, specifically because the word possessed in the English language literally means to be someone's belonging or to be a possession or ownership, be owned by someone else. No, demons cannot possess us. We belong to Jesus. He bought us with a high price. We are the possession of God. 
But that's not what the Bible is talking about when we're talking about spiritual warfare. The word, uh, the Bible translated as possessed in the uh, English language really just means to be demonized under the control or influence of demonic spirits. It doesn't mean to be owned by uh, spirits. So we need to look at the word of God. This is our this is our weapon. This is our standard of what the scripture actually reveals to us on whether or not Christians can be spiritually oppressed. So we're going to look at a couple passages of scripture. The first is in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And this is a, a common story. It's usually talked about when we're talking about generosity or, or giving in the church on occasion. But here, the, the church just launched into the world. Acts 2, day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, thousands upon thousands of people come to Christ. People are getting baptized. People are so geeked about Jesus that they're selling all their possessions and donating it to the church so that they can provide for the needs of the poor. All this crazy stuff is happening. It's amazing. It's life-changing. Matter of fact, we're here today in this room because of that one event in Acts chapter 2. And so as the new church is beginning to unfold, a couple uh, people in the new church, a man and wife named Ananias and Sapphira, they decide that, you know, they love God. They want to do the same things. They have extra property they don't need. They sell the property, and they decide they're going to give that to the church to help take care of the needs of the poor. And after they sell the property, they got to see how many zeros were behind the dollar sign. And something changed in their heart. They decided... I don't think that we want to give all of this to the church. We might want to hold some of this back, which was their right to do. They didn't have to. No one was forcing them to sell their property and give all the money to the poor. So they decided to hold a portion of that back. But when they went to present their offering to the church, they said they were giving the total amount instead of just the part that they decided to give because they were saving face. They wanted to act spiritual and wanted people to think they were uh, something more than what they were in that moment. They wanted to just fit in with all the rest of everyone else and what everyone else was doing. And uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, as Peter is receiving this gift, he confronts Ananias about it. And Peter says to Ananias, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money to yourself. You see, we cannot get anything past God. God sees everything. God sees everything, and he knew when greed entered their heart that they had held that portion back and that they were lying to the church when they gave their gift. But it's interesting what Peter says to Ananias. Look at again what it says. It says, why have you, what's that say? Let, read it out loud, Satan fill your heart or soul. Born-again believers, baptized with the Holy Spirit, in the church, and yet Satan has filled the heart. Peter was revealing that Satan, our adversary, had filled their souls, began to work in their thoughts and feelings, manipulating their emotions, using his power to influence them and his wife. Both Ananias and his wife were in on it together. And how was Satan able to do that? Because they opened a doorway into their souls and let them in. By opening the door, they were waving a spiritual sign that said, Demons, come control me. I submit to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, this is a very common passage of Scripture. It says this. It says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or the thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. In the church, we call this the vice list. This, these are the, the big time sins that, that tend to be preached about and talked about. And as you read that list, have you ever wondered why greed is listed there? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, every other sin listed is an active sin. It manifests itself outwardly, but greed is something that is experienced inwardly. It's a passive sin. Everything else is perpetrated outside of the body, but greed is done inside the heart. See, the reason greed is listed here is because it's not only ungodly actions that open doors to the demonic, but also sinful attitudes. Why? Because attitudes perpetuate behaviors. Every behavior we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, every sinful action against God begins as a sinful state of the soul, a sinful heart. Ungodly attitudes open doorways to the demonic. Jesus in Luke chapter 6 said, whatever comes out of your mouth begins in the heart. 
Everything we do is manifested somewhere in the heart before it's revealed outwardly. Greed is an open door. The mind, the soul, the fallen nature can open doors to the demonic. Our key verse is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. This is where we really get this idea nailed down. This is Paul to the church of Ephesus. He says this. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger is an attitude, but left unchecked will produce all sorts of wickedness, harsh words, violence, etc. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody ever lose their temper? Right? Uh, I'm going to confess a little confession today. One, one day my wife and I uh, were having a little animated discussion. And uh, I don't even remember what it was about. But, uh, I mean, I just got so mad. I was, I was, I was just going to go downstairs in my basement and hit my punching bag for a minute, just release some of that anger. And on my way down, I stubbed my toe on my kid's foosball table, and I karate kicked that thing and busted it in half, and I just picked it up, and I was like Hulk smashing that thing left and right. And, uh, you know, I felt better afterwards, but then my kids were crying, so then I felt horrible. But, but that's what happens. When anger is left unchecked, it produces evil, wickedness. In a moment of anger, I sinned against my kids because I broke something of theirs. I hurt them. This is what anger does. And what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, he's saying, in other words, when we are made aware of sinful attitudes within us, when we're feeling those sinful attitudes, we have a choice. Submit to the Holy Spirit and repent or resist the Spirit and open a door to the devil. The word foothold here in the original language literally means surrendered ground. It's like a military term. Like if you're, you're fighting another army and they're uh, winning and you retreat, you give up ground and they advance and take that ground. That is surrendered ground in a, a military situation. And this is what Paul is saying. We surrender ground in our lives, authority and presence in our lives to the enemy when we sin. That word could also mean license. You go down to the secretary of state, you pay the 20 bucks, and they give you what? A license to do what? To drive. When you sin, you have a sinful attitude. You are issuing a license for the enemy to come in and drive. It also can mean grant authority or give power to. This is what happens in our souls and within us when we have sinful attitudes. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, Paul says to the church of Rome, it says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Again, sin isn't just the things we do or fallen nature. This is literally the enemy. Paul is telling this to a church. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Of God Through sinful attitudes and actions, we can submit ourselves, even our very own bodies, to the work of the enemy. Sinful attitudes open spiritual doorways and invite the enemy in, grants them license and power to operate in our life, influencing our soul, which is our mind and our emotions, to bring about the infirmities with them and even sinful actions throughout the body. Sin is the catalyst to open doors. Sinful attitudes are one such way. A door can be opened. But doors can be opened in various other ways because uh, our, our attitudes aren't the only things that are sinful before God. In James chapter 4, verse 17, James says this. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And within this verse, we really get two categories of sin. One is sins of omission. These are things that you just don't do. You know, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it is a sin. You, you walk down the sidewalk and you see trash and you know you should pick that up and throw it away and you keep on walking. Guess what? Sin. You know to do good and don't do it. These are sins of omission. You're omitting good behaviors out of your life. Number two is sins of commission. This is doing what you know you shouldn't do. Your parent says, don't put your hand in the cookie jar and you put your hand in there anyway. Sins of commission. Sins of omission and commission, two very common ways to sin against God and open doors. We sin in either doing wrong or neglecting to do what is right. Either way, open doors to the demonic. Doors can also be opened, number three, through life circumstances. 
They can be opened through events that happen in life that are out of our control due to the sins of others. When people sin against you or, or they do something that directly affects your life. You know, this happens specifically or especially when we're young. Children are dependent on the provision and protection of their parents. And many of the issues that we face later in life can be traced back to a point in time where we were young, where we were sinned against by not having proper protection or provision. Think about it. Think about the issues you deal with right now. Some of the very emotional issues, whether it be insecurity, poor self-esteem, fear, anger, rebellion, sexual promiscuity, whatever it is, think about that. Think about why that might be, and I promise you that it might not be too long before your mind takes you back to a point in time when you were young in an event that happened in your life. Maybe you had an alcoholic parent, or you were demeaned or overly criticized. Maybe your parents divorced, or one of them passed away, and you didn't know how to handle that grief. Someone close to you did something or said something to you, caused pain in some form, and because as a young child, you don't know how to process those emotions properly, especially on the spiritual level, that pain remained unresolved, manifested into a sinful attitude like uh, unforgiveness or resentment, and thus inviting a spirit or multiple spirits to work in your life. Doors can be opened through life circumstances. Number four, doors can also be opened through false beliefs. And I'm not just talking about theological beliefs. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, anything opposite the truth is sin before God. Sin is rooted in false, or false beliefs are rooted in sin because they are rooted in lies and they lead people astray from the truth. And this can be in something so simple, for instance, as just believing you're destined to turn out just like your parents. I mean, think about it. I'm sure if you think about your mom and your dad, you may love them to death, but there's probably something that you're just like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be like them in that way. There's something that you're like, mm, I don't know if I really want to be like that. Or maybe you had a parent you just didn't want to be like at all. There's a false belief that believes that you're destined to grow up just to be like your parents. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You may even have somebody say that you're no good, just like your father. You're no good, just like your mother. And this thought or this belief has penetrated you deeply. The truth is God has a unique plan for each one of our lives. Plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope, not to place you in a bondage to generational sins. But whatever that belief, when we believe a false truth, we bind ourselves to that belief and allow the enemy to bring a manifestation of that belief later in our lives because we live in fear of it. Oh, I pray I don't grow up to be like that. I don't want to be like that. And thus we grant license to the enemy because fear is also sin before God. If you believe a lie, your life will be affected because you'll be operating under that lie. And just like saying the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, all those negative and ungodly emotions associated with these false beliefs open doors to the enemy. And what happens when those words are spoken over us, especially as young children, and we don't counter them with the truth, we go into agreement with those lies, and we believe it. And that agreement, by nature of our belief in those lies, allows those words to sink down deep into our subconscious minds, binding us to that criticism, affecting the course of our lives, how we live, how we view life, how we interpret situations, how we make decisions, our feelings and our emotions, which the enemy uses against us. And as we grow older, we may even forget about those moments in our lives as children, but as we grow older, in an effort to become nothing like our parents, out of bitterness towards them, which is also a sinful attitude, it grants more license, more power, opens wider doors to the demonic to oppress our lives. And a sad but true fact is under the influence of demonic forces, we usually end up becoming just like our parents anyways. And how many of you see some of yourself in your parents or some of your parents in yourself? You know, especially some of those things you wish weren't the same. You didn't wish that to be your life, but you still see some of those traces in there. And under demonic influence, because of resentment and bitterness and that open door that we have through that unrepentant sin, we become exactly what we feared we'd become in the first place, perpetuating a cycle of generational brokenness. So the spirits not only influence anger and bitterness towards our parents, but then also dump heavy doses of guilt and shame for becoming just like them, perpetrating their plans to steal, kill, and destroy. 
They can even empower false beliefs pertaining to the perception of hereditary health conditions like heart disease, cancer, obesity, etc. And the perception creates a fear for the future, feeding behaviors that can promote to the development of those very same health conditions. False beliefs grant the enemy to empower them to put you in a spiritual stronghold, keeping you from being who God made you to be. My own personal life, I believed I could never preach, that I wasn't good enough, that I could never be a public speaker. Even my first interview in ministry for leading worship, I told the pastor, I will never speak from stage. I was petrified. I was scared. I had extreme anxiety even over the thought of standing before a crowd and giving a public address. It kept me, kept me trapped in a state of fear, weakened my faith, and thus kept me living outside of the will of God. And this is what was going on with Ananias and Sapphira. They gave the enemy permission by a reason of an unrepentant attitude. In this case, or in their case, was greed to come in and demonize them, false beliefs. And under the demon's influence, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and he ultimately killed them. God killed them on the spot for lying to the church because of the influence of those demonic forces. The thief comes but to steal kill and destroy. And this is his plan for each one of us. And false beliefs, sinful attitudes leads towards their plans of destruction. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul reveals to us that Satan is the God of this world. He hijacked authority in this world, set himself up as God. And we read the word world in the, the Bible. We know it's referencing to the kingdom of the enemy, to the, the dominion that is under the enemy's control. And in James 4, 4 and 5, this is James to the church. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world or the kingdom of Satan makes you an enemy of God? So I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Being friends with the world, being friends with the kingdom of Satan is being friends with Satan. It's partnering up with the enemy. Jesus said that those who aren't against me are for me. And when we become friends with the world, when we open doors and allow the demonic to work in our lives, we become partners with the ones that are against the very Lord and Savior we say we love and adore. We set ourselves up against God as his enemy because we stop working for him and start working against him. That's why we're in the fight for our lives. And as believers, when we partner with Satan in sin, no matter the age, from young to old, the Spirit of God groans with inside of us, and we begin to reap upon ourselves the judgment of God's jealous anger. Because light has no place with darkness. And the Spirit wants nothing to do with the demonic, and will reap the consequences of those open doors. Jesus tells us a story. He's talking about forgiveness. His disciples come up and say, you know, how many times should we forgive people? And we know the, the story, you know, 70 times 7 and the whole night. Jesus gives an example of why we should forgive and, and tells us a story. He tells us a story about a servant who owed millions of dollars to this great king. And the king calls his debt, brings the servant up before him and says, you owe me. It's time to pay. Servant can't pay. So the king says, okay, take his wife and kids, sell them into slavery, and uh, they'll you know, pay off the debt. And he falls down to his knees. He's crying. And he's screaming, no, please have mercy. Please forgive me. I'll pay. Just, just let, let me have more time. And he goes through this whole thing. And the king says, you know what? Okay, I'm going to forgive you. Matter of fact, I'm not just going to give you more time. I'm going to wipe out your debt. Your slate's clean. And the servant was grateful, thanked the king, and went on his way. Well, then the servant had some people that owed him some money. And so he went and called their debts into collection. And when they couldn't pay, instead of forgiving their debt, he actually sent them and their families to jail. And when the, some servants heard that he had done this, they went and told the king. The king called the first servant back before him to explain uh, you know, himself because of this wicked thing that he'd done. And he said, you know, if you couldn't forgive others the way I forgave you, then I'm not going to uh, allow you to get away with that. And so he does something that's very significant. And Jesus says something very interesting in his statement in Matthew chapter 18, 34 through 35, talking about this story. Verse 34, as Jesus is speaking, he said, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Keep in mind, he's speaking to his disciples. 
This man, the servant, received forgiveness of his debt. His slate was made clean. And in the story, Jesus is using this as a metaphor for salvation. Complete forgiveness, right standing before the king of kings, the king representing the father of heaven. And the king delivered the servant over to the tormentors because of his unforgiveness. Now, in this metaphor, if the king represents God and the forgiveness represents salvation, who do the tormentors represent? Who do you think? Say it out loud. The devil. Demons. He's talking to his disciples. The men who would start the church, launch the church, the only ones to have a relationship with him. After salvation, if you perpetrate or continue in unforgiveness or sinful attitude, the king will send you to the tormentors. Represent demons. Be sent to a prison to be tormented. We could also translate this as a spiritual stronghold to be tormented by evil spirits. This is our Lord and Savior. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, where there was a man in the church who was engaged in wicked, unrepentant sexual sin, and they said, you're going to have to cast this man out of the church and turn him over to the devil. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews talks about how God brings discipline into our lives whenever we are uh, living according to our fleshly desires. When we have sinful and unrepentant attitudes, he brings discipline in to bring us to repentance so that righteousness will once again be produced in our lives. This is a very real thing for us. We are not exempt from spiritual attack or spiritual oppression as Christians because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. I mean, think about it. Have you ever felt tortured in your soul? Have you ever had unrelenting guilt and shame of something maybe in the past or a situation you're going through? Have you ever been tortured by depression, anxiety, fear, and the like to the point that it detrimentally affected your life? Made you push people away and go into isolation and continue to enable your destructive habits or behaviors? I think we all have. See, what seems like a little sin can have unintentional but yet devastating consequences when the demonic is invited to work in your life, especially when the revelation of a door that was open, maybe even when you're a young child, manifests later in life. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to get that, understand that. He settles for nothing less. He will get you to destroy in big or small ways, to do little things that maybe aren't in accordance to the will of God so that one day you too will be destroyed. Demons aren't picky on how they do it. They'll latch onto any opportunity you provide them. They'll walk through any door they can enter into ruin your life. Proverbs in 4.23, Solomon says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This isn't just so that you can have a happy family. This is so that you can guard yourself from the forces of evil that are trying to take you down. Genesis 3.1, as God had created everything and Adam and Eve began their life, says the serpent was the shrewdest or most subtle of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Serpent, we know, represents the enemy, Satan. Satan is a liar. He's a schemer, he's crafty, he's subtle, and he works in the shadows. If his work was obvious, then we would see it coming and he'd never get anything done. So he works in the shadows. He's sneaky. But praise God, we have the Word of God. Praise God that we have his schemes exposed. And as we bring them into the light, we aren't caught by surprise or unprepared. Because we have his Word. We have the Holy Spirit. We have what we need to cast them into the light. And Jesus, all throughout his ministry, worked to free people from the oppression of the devil. He cast out spirits of infirmities of multiple kinds, of all kinds. In the book, Pigs in the Parlor, A Practical Guide to Deliverance by Frank and Ida Mae Hammond, in their studies, they revealed that a spirit, or the spirits that we wrestle with, can be known by the symptom of affliction they perpetrate on a person. Jesus once delivered a man named Legion, not because that was the man's name, but because he had thousands of spirits within him. That was his affliction. That's how they knew him. 
And so as we look biblically, we can see that you can identify the spirits at work in your life by the symptoms of oppression. You can begin to go to war against them when you can identify the symptoms in your life, taking the fight to them in authority. In the book, The Hammonds, they list seven, seven main symptoms or seven main types of affliction. We could call this uh, doorways that could be opened or strongholds that could be evident in the life of a person, one of which we need healing and deliverance to free us from demonic control. And as I read these lists today, I want you to pay close attention. Be aware of what the Holy Spirit of God highlights to you or begins to speak to you. For many of, the, of us probably struggle with something, at least, in these lists. And as you become aware of your own spiritual need, begin to be conscious of maybe what your response needs to be to the Word of God today. Number one, the first symptom is emotional problems, reoccurring emotional problems that persist, like resentment, hatred, anger, fear, rejection, unwanted or unloved feelings, feelings of self-pity, jealousy, depression, worry, inferiority, and or insecurity. Number two, we have mental problems. These are disturbances in the mind, like mental torment, procrastination, indecision, compromise, confusion, doubt, rationalization, and loss of memory. Number three, you have speech problems, like outbursts or an uncontrolled tongue, such as lying, cursing, blasphemy, criticism, mockery, railing, and gossip. Number four is sex problems. These are reoccurring Thoughts or acts regarding sex, not with a spouse in a biblical marriage. You have fantasy, uh, sex experiences or previous sex experiences, masturbation, lust, perversions, homosexuality, fornication, adultery, incest, provocations, harlotry, which is prostitution and pornography. Number five, you have addictions. And the most common in our world today are nicotine, alcohol, drugs, medicines, caffeine, and food. Number six, physical infirmities. Infirmities of all kinds, diseases, debilitating impairments, and the like. And the Hammonds note that while a demon of infirmity is cast out, also a prayer for healing is usually required to combat whatever damage has resulted for the one being demonized. And that's why in Scripture you see often when Jesus casts out an evil spirit, healing also occurs at the same time. And then number seven, you have religious error. Your involvement to any degree in religious era, can open a door to demons, including participation with religious objects or literature from a religious era. This is a form of idolatry. It's a violation of the direct command of God. We can see this in false religions, Eastern, pagan, philosophies, and mind sciences. This includes popular interests such as some comic books, music, movies, video games, also uh, exercise routines and popular routines such as yoga. Now, this when I read this, this kind of stung me because I've always been on a weight loss journey, and I did the P90X workout not too long ago. Any P90X fans in here? It's a great workout. One of the videos was yoga, and I first I was like, I don't know about this. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to be wearing any, you know, stretch pants and stuff like this and, you know, working out. But, uh, but I did it. It's great exercise. It's tough. Build strength. I was more flexible. I could work out better. But when I saw yoga, I was like, what's up with yoga? And so I did a little research of yoga, and I found out that there's a, some popular terminology in yoga. It comes from Eastern uh, Sanskrit or uh, mysticism. There's a term called the Surya Namaskar. Surya Namaskar, it's most commonly uh, known as the sun salutation. Anybody heard of that, sun salutation? Okay, well, the Sanskrit word namaskar stems from the word means to bow to or to adore. It's a familiar phrase used in yoga. So sun salutation literally means to bow to or adore the sun. And the, the term that they use to close the, uh, the practice of yoga, the namaste, namas comes from the same word, te means you, so it means to bow to or adore you. So literally in yoga, you begin and end the exercise with worship of the sun. It's idolatry. It's a form of pagan worship. This blew my mind. I didn't even know that. And uh, also they know that karate in some forms should also be rejected because you can't separate it from its pagan roots. When I took uh, uh, a form of martial arts growing up called uh, Muay Thai, it's a Thailand form of kickboxing, anytime we would spar or my uh, instructor would help us to spar, he would have us do this routine of bowing and he wanted me to bow to his little Buddha idol. And I was like, I ain't going to do that. You read the Old Testament? Uh-uh, ain't happening. 
but he would have us bow to this idol. And he said, well, if you go overseas and do tournaments with me, that's just part of the practice. I was like, well, I guess I'm not going overseas then because I'm never bowing to a little gold statue. But this is very common in our world, these things that we come across. We also have other religious era, like Christian occults, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science, Rosicrucianism, theosophy, unity, and many more. Anything that denies the essentials, like Christ's blood for the atonement, should be rejected. This can include some lodges, secret societies, occult and spiritism, seances, witchcraft, magic, Ouija boards, levitation, palm reading, handwriting analysis, automatic handwriting, ESP, hypnosis, horoscopes, astrology, divination, etc. Any method of seeking supernatural knowledge, wisdom, or guidance apart from God is forbidden. Religious error can also be false doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul warns that in the last days there will be seducing spirits that will introduce mankind or even the church to false doctrine as a way to lead us away from the true faith. Such doctrines are set out to cause confusion, doubt in the word of God, and draw people away. They don't lead to humility, but lead to a sense of pride. They make a person very unteachable and arrogant. It promotes a person to give themselves over to more fleshly activities as a gateway to the spiritual, such as asceticism or severe self-discipline. In many of these uh, practices, we can see in our common day and even some of our common diets like vegetarianism and veganism. They're rooted in pagan or demonic doctrines. Our enemy is tirelessly working to create opportunities for us to stumble and fall, to sin either through omission, commission, attitudes, and the like, to derail our faith and to get us to open doors to lead us to our destruction. Which is why as the church, we should be clinging to one another more and more, encouraging each other in our faith, going to battle for one another as the days get darker. As we close our service today, we have to remember that Satan, he's a defeated foe. Christ beat him on the cross. And though he is powerful, Christ has stripped his power over us. He has given us power over him. And through his finished work on the cross, we will reign in victory. And so today, my challenge for us today, when we stand for a time of prayer, seek the Lord. Seek the Holy Spirit and ask him to reveal to you the doors that you've opened into your life. Ask him to highlight you the ways that maybe you've been at war or been in a fight and you just didn't know it. Your eyes have been blinded to the war around you. You've been blinded to the way the enemy has been at work in your life. Maybe it's a sinful attitude, a sin of omission, a sin of commission. Maybe there's a life circumstance that took place and you've never been able to fully recover from that. And that has been causing all sorts of turmoil and pain in your life. Maybe you have a, a slew of false beliefs that you've allowed just to bring confusion into your life and dysfunction. But seek the Lord. The Holy Spirit is alive. And he'll reveal to you the areas that you need deliverance and will empower you to begin walking in that victory. Isaiah 54 verse 17, the prophet Isaiah says this, as a prophecy for the day we're living in today, he says, in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Church, no weapon formed against you will prosper. If you've been born again, you belong to the Lord. And your freedom is your birthright. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not free. You're still in the kingdom of the enemy, the bondage of Satan. And God is waiting for you to call out to him to set you free and give you the power to overcome this fight that you face each and every day. Are you tired of fighting? Are you tired of struggling for breath? Are you tired of being caught up in the same old dysfunction? When the band sings, I just challenge you to respond by coming forward. Come down and pray. Meet me down here and let's pray together. Let's pray that those open doors become closed. Those strongholds be broken down. Let's pray through prayers of repentance that the hand of the enemy will be taken off of your throat and you'll once again be able to breathe the breath of life. And let's release the power of God in your life today.
So we go into our time of response. I'd like us to all pray this prayer today. Just begin our time of prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to pray this. Father in heaven, I plead the blood of Christ over my life. I cancel the power of Satan over me. I lose myself from every bond of Satan in authority and power of Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this each week, each day this week, church, as we take the fight to the enemy. Let's pray in this place. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for I thank you that you have not left us blind, that you have not left us weak, but God, that you have given us the path to deliverance. God, I pray now that your light would shine, that you would illuminate the schemes of the enemy, God, that you would illuminate the open doors, God, that our hearts would come into alignment with your will and your word. Father, and today we would determine in, our, in ourselves not to let the enemy have any ground, that we would take back all the surrendered ground that we've surrendered over the course of our lives, God, and that we would give ourselves wholly to you, that not even one part of our bodies would be given to serve Satan or the kingdom of the world, God, but that we would be given ourselves wholly to you. And I just pray, God, that your victory would even be pronounced now in the name of Jesus as people come forward and begin to walk in deliverance. Just thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work you're doing even now in the hearts and minds of those present. I pray this in Jesus' name.